the Lord. So we would just sing these old songs that have been around a long time so that you would learn the old songs, that we learned the old song when we were young kids like you. <laughs> and they are still here. Amen. Amen. I love the old songs. The mighty God is Jesus. The Prince of Peace is He, the Everlasting Father. Man, you learn that song, you search out all the scriptures that goes with it, you have the oneness of God down pat. Amen. That's the easiest way to learn it. Just trace that song. Amen. It's all scripture. And I'm going to fly away. I'm going to spread my wings and get out of here. Amen. Hallelujah. 747 ain't going to have nothing on me. <laughs> We're gone. Turn on the afterburners, man. What was that? Not Superman. It was Brother Parker. Gone. Out of here. <laughs> Amen. Well, we want to get right in our study. Amen. Tonight. Amen. Again, we've been talking about growing through knowledge and understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs 9, 9 and 10, give instructions to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Notice what it says. You give instructions to a wise man. Now, I guess usually when you buy appliances or tables and stuff and it has to be put together, you ever notice it always come with a book, how to put it together? <laughs> now, if you don't follow the book, you're going to put it together wrong, and then you're going to call it a piece of junk. All right? You want to take it back. It's not the manufacturer's fault. They want you to follow the instructions because they want you to put it together right so it'll look like the picture on the box so that when people come to your house and see it, they're going to ask you, man, where'd you get that from? Man, I think I'm going to go get me one of those. See? So that's why they want you to use the instructions. Amen. So the Bible says you give instructions to a wise man. And he's going to be yet wiser. We should have wisdom. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, 7, that wisdom is the principal thing. And in all thy getting, get wisdom. And with thy getting, get an understanding, get knowledge, instructions. You know, we need to know why we're doing what we're doing. Okay? And that's key to if we're going to make it to the other side. You know, we have to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding as to how God's word applied to our lives. Anytime you read God's word, you want to look for the application in it as to how does it really apply to me, okay? A lot of times you see stuff in the Old Testament, it might apply to Israel. Then again, it might apply to the Gentiles. So we need to have that knowledge and that understanding of how it all applies to us as the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, for example, this is probably the best time of the year uh, to be a good witness for the Lord with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Because most people don't have a clue what Christmas is all about. You know, and you and I should know, amen, what it's about so that we can explain that it's not about Rudolph and the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's about you guys buying presents for me. <laughs> I just miss it. Amen. But uh, it's about him. 
Amen. It's about Jesus Christ. Amen. And so you teach a just man and he's going to increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Because you are to be holy because God is holy. See, you know, you, you've got to realize the things that we are in Christ. Galatians 5 uh, says that the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love. It is joy, it is peace, it is long-suffering, it is gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's has crucified the flesh with his affection and lust. You know, so we got to realize that these character traits of God should be operating through us and in us. Constantly, we got to have the knowledge of these things. Because God is love. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He's the peace that passeth all understanding. He's a patient God. He tells me in my patience, possess me my soul. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, you, you've got to understand these things and how they work into your life as a born again believer in Jesus Christ. You can't go down, keep going down the wrong road and expect good things to happen when God has called you out of darkness to the marvelous light. Say, you, you can't keep walking in the flesh and expect good consequences. You, you can expect nothing but wrong and evil when you go after the flesh. You are to walk in the spirit so you do not fulfill the lust of your flesh, because the flesh is lusting against the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh now contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Say, so you gotta know that you can't. God calls you out to represent Him, to serve Him. He calls you light. He calls you salt. You know, let your light shine, He said, that men see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Last week, we was looking at some of the names of Jesus, and we was discussing about, you know, what it really represented and how that in the Old Testament, Jehovah versus the New Testament, Jesus Christ. And we saw in Psalms 23 that David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He maketh me the lying green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his sake, namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy step, they comfort me. Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He anoint my heads with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You got something following you. You ever stop and turn around and see what's behind you? Goodness and mercy is right behind you. (laughs) They're following you everywhere you go. So they're always there. And in John 10, Jesus relates himself to the good shepherd. See, he says the good shepherd knows the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. He calls them all by name. You know, he leads them out to green pastures. You know, all these things, Jesus relates himself 
to the good shepherd. See? And so therefore, when we're his, he's represented the shepherd. And as the psalmist says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Say, he leads us out, he brings us in. He goes before us to make the way straight. So we saw last week, we was looking at some of these names. We saw Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. God will provide. Paul says in Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Everything you have need of, God's got it. You remember the song, whatever you need, God's got it. So whatever you need, God's got it. Whatever you need, God's got it. And he shall supply all your needs, not all your wants. He's going to supply your need. See? And so there's a difference. See, we get in the want habit. I want a new house. I want a new car. I want a new coat. I want a new suit. I want a new pair of shoes. I want a new, new, new. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. When do we stop and say, well, do I really need a new pair of shoes. Sometimes I'll say to my wife, I don't need anything else. My, my kids are saying to me sometimes, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? Nothing. I have need of nothing. Uh, because God will supply my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord that heals. The Lord that healeth. Amen. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for mine iniquities. And the chastisement of my peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Amen. We are healed. Amen. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. In the name of the, we will rejoice, the Psalms says in Psalms 20, in our Lord. We, in the name of our God, we will set up a banner. Now know I that the Lord will save his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heavens with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So we covered some of those last week. So in your study time and through in your process of time, you will go back through these. And let me encourage you to learn them and study them and apply them to your house and to your 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 life. Amen. So that you will have that understanding. And the New Testament church is identified by the name of Jesus. Amen. In Matthew 10, 22, it tells us we will be, hey, Jesus tells us we will be hated for his name. Amen. Matthew 10, 22, we'll be hated. And you shall be hated of all men for my names, which is name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Say, when the, when the pressure is on, don't go back. When you reject it, don't turn around. When they say all matters of evil falsely against you, get in the habit of rejoicing. Amen. I think if we will rejoice a little bit more, 
we'll be okay. You know, I think if we got up in the morning with a new song instead of woes me, <laughs> and, and, and get into the habit of say, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made, I will rejoice, I will rejoice. Be glad in it, right? If we sing, as the psalmist said to yourself, hymns and songs and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart to the Lord, you'll be okay. You know, you don't want to be like the children of Israel and take your harp when you're going through things and hanging on the willow. See, they didn't, they stopped playing music. They stopped singing the song. Their enemy says, sing us an old song of Zion. They says, how can we sing a song of Zion, you know, in the, in the land of that, you know, the enemy? No. Sing. Look at Paul and Silas in Acts 16. Beaten. Bruised. Scripes everywhere. In shackles. And the Bible says, at midnight, they prayed and sang psalms. You know, I don't know what they sang, you know. But they may be sung the mighty God is Jesus. I don't know. Maybe that's where that song comes from. You know. But as they begin to pray and sing praises, there was an earthquake. The jails were shaken. Their shackles fell off of them. Amen. And they was led out. And what happened? The guy in his, the jailer in his whole household got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, they could have let the jailer kill himself. But Paul says, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And they let him out. They went to the jailer's house. They gave him a Bible study about Jesus Christ. He got baptized in the name of Jesus. Amen. Him and his whole household. And hey, the church at Philippi began. See, it would have been easy to, you know, just be down. But you got to, you got to understand there's something greater in you than what you're facing and what you're going through. You've got too many exceeding precious promises from God. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, verse 9, Beloved, I am persuaded of better things of you. The things that accompany salvation do we thus speak. What came with your salvation? Downtrodden didn't come. Distress didn't come. Anxiety didn't come. Power came with your salvation. All of that fruit of the Spirit came with your salvation. He gave you a cloak of zeal so that you would know, and he gave you the word of God so that you know you have a garment of praise for the Spirit of heaviness, that you might be called trees of righteousness, the planet of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So he says, okay, let me please make you Superman, and I'll give you all this power, and I'm going to put a cloak around you called zeal, so that when you're going things facing you, then you can just rise up. You ever read Michael 7, 8, 9? What does it say? Rejoice not against me, O my enemies. Don't I fall? I get up again. When I sit in darkness, God still is going to be a light around me. Think about it. 
You ever read Isaiah 54, 17? There is no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage. Look at your heritage. You got a great heritage. Paul, Peter, James, John, Ruth, Moses, Jesus. <laughs> Look at your heritage, man. You remember the song we just sang in the song? My grandmother was 96. She did PT just for kicks. <laughs> you know, we got a great heritage. Think about, think about what, what you're following behind. You are part of the original church that Jesus established on this earth. Wow, your roots, your heritage goes all the way back to 33 A.D. in Jerusalem. Man, you trace your lineage line all the way back and think about your heritage. You remember what Boaz told the guy uh, that he was, when he had to, was, Ruth was next and he, you know, Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, but he couldn't because there was someone next to Ken. And Boaz says to the guy, he said, look, I, I thought it right to let you know that Naomi has a piece of property. She wants to sell. And so, therefore, you're the next in kin. So I want you to know that you have the right to buy it. But at the same time, you buy Naomi's property. You've got to buy Ruth. you got to raise up the name of Milan and all those guys, you know, that was her husband. And the guy says, no, I, I can't do it because it might taunt my heritage over here, you know. But Boaz bought it, you know. And you, and if you notice in those days what happened, if you didn't, didn't follow through, you had to take your shoe off, you got spit in the face and all that kind of stuff. But Boaz, see, didn't have to take his shoes off because he says, I'm going to buy the heritage. This is some heritage here, see, some lineage line stuff. And so, and as a result, he brought the property, he brought Naomi land. He got Ruth, and they had a son. They called him Obad, which is the father of Jesse, which is the father of King David, which is the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the heritage. You got a great heritage. You know, some of your parents, some of your grandparents, Great, great, great grandparents. Sometimes I wonder which one of my grandparents from way, way back may have been apostolic and I didn't know it, but they was praying. How many of them went to the Azusa Street in 1900, 1901 through that time frame? Because a lot of people was heading to California to get the Holy Ghost. They heard about the Holy Ghost. So they, they was getting rid of everything to go get it. Missionaries came back from overseas to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know? Heritage, because of the lineage. See, we got a great heritage. So when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I'll multiply you. And so Abraham patiently and received the promise. See? So 
those promises that were made to Abraham because now Galatians 3, 26, 27 says, For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, you are put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. There's, you know, you're all one in Christ. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and your heirs, there's that word again, to the promise. So everything God promised Abraham is yours. So you don't have to worry when things go wrong because Jesus fill your heart with a song. It's amazing what praising can do. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we got to have the knowledge. So we will be hated by all men for his name's sake, but don't worry about it. We'll be persecuted for his name's sake. Amen. It's an honor for us to suffer for Christ. They did. You know, remember in Acts 4 when they called Peter and John and, and the council, they says, by what power, what name have you done this? And they says, we be examined this day by what need the impotent man be it known unto you that by the name of Jesus Christ and you crucified this man stand before you whole. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is another the name in heaven given unto men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus, Jehovah, is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. Jehovah is salvation. Say, so there is no other name that we can be saved by. That's why we're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. Amen. And that's why the enemy hates that name so much. You know, that's why people hate the name of Jesus. One of the reasons the people hate the name of Jesus is because when you hear it, it is associated with righteousness. And see, and people that is evil don't want to do right. That's why the world really doesn't here lately like to have you mention anything about Christ. Because, see, they associate that with being right and good. And the devil don't like that. See? So he's going to do everything in his power to remove that which is good. Because the Bible says in the last days, evil will be called good and good will be called evil. See? So we have to realize some things are going to come against us for this name of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, fret not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm as close as the mention of his name. So the church is identified with the name of Jesus. And so love it. Get excited about it. Know everything about it. Amen. So we got to have the understanding. Now, last week before we left out of here, I was talking to us a little bit about you know, some things that we need to understand why we do what we do, you know, as children of God. Now, we was talking about a little bit about holiness last week. Uh, you know, holiness is just being set apart, set apart from the world and set unto God. You know, God is holy, so we should be holy. If his spirit is in me, this is why John is really saying, if the Spirit is in you, then you ain't have no business to sin in. Say, 
Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. So you got to get to a point in your life that you make a decision that I'm not going to keep doing wrong. When I read the word of God, as we've been studying James, what does James say? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The worst person you can deceive is you. Because there's consequences. You, you know there's consequences for wrong actions. There's consequences for good actions. See? So I have to ask myself, do I want the bad consequences or do I want the good ones? I would think all of us would want the good consequences. I think all of us would want the best in life. See, so God wants us to be holy because he is holy. In other words, he wants us to be sacred. He wants us to be physically, morally pure in our actions, in our lives. Amen. He wants us to be consecrated unto him. He wants us to be set apart. We are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar People, you are to be distinct. Some people say you should be a little odd, but no, I like the word distinctive. You're distinct because you belong to Jesus. You're set apart. You should look the part. You should act the part. Your conduct, everything about you should be a reflection of what's inside of you. It was one arc. (laughs) It was one tabernacle in the wilderness. And there's one church. And that's you. See? And you fit into the puzzle. So we was looking and we was talking a little bit. I was talking about we need to know why we do what we do a little bit here. So I gave you a handout here. uh, Here, and this is for your education and reading a little bit at your own time. But let's look at this just a little bit. Deuteronomy 22, 5. So the woman should not wear that which retaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garments. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord. The word abomination there appears, if you notice, usually when the word abomination appears in Scripture, it means disgusting. Okay? It means that God is definitely not pleased. It's disgusting to God when there's an abomination. It is on the verge of adultery. It's wickedness. And so that's why I think you find that it's put so heavily in certain passages because God wants to give us a wake-up call in that regard. That which pertaineth to a man, not only his dress, but all the ex- all that especially pertain distinctively to his sex, his arms, or his domestic and the other utensils and so on. When you talk about his arm, he's talking about military uh, attire. The distinction between the sexes is natural and, div- and divinely established and cannot be neglected without indecorum or bad behavior and consequences which ensure to danger and impurity. 
here. Dangerous to purity when we go different way. Paul right into the church at Corinth here says, but I would not have you that the head to have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is the man and the head of every of Christ is God. Every man praying to prophesy and having his head covered, this honor his head, but every woman that prayeth to prophesy with her head uncovered, this honor her head. For that is even also one as if she was shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if not, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a woman indeed ought not to cover his, a man, excuse me, indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman the man. In other words, where Paul is coming from here is he takes us back to Genesis, to creation. God first made Adam, and then he took Adam's rib, and he made Eve. So he's saying, the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. That's where he's coming from. He's, he's trying to educate the church. He says, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Some relate this to the fallen angels. Nevertheless, Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. In the Lord, we are equal. That's why there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor free. You're all one. See, when we come into the church in the Lord, we are equal on the same playing field. Amen. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourself, is it comely? That a woman pray to God uncover. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for what? A covering. See, so God knows what he is doing. We can't get caught up into the world's ways and following the world's ways to where we violate what God's word tell us to do. Say, the world is trying to slowly infiltrate into the church so that there is no distinction between males and females. But God's word will not change because he had it established from the beginning that it should be a distinction and a difference. Amen. So we need to understand that. So let's look here on your lesson a little bit. History of women wearing men's clothes. Where did it all come from? Today, most people wouldn't, but wouldn't bat an eye of a woman wearing pants or a bow tie in the Western world. But it wasn't always this way. In fact, prior to the late 19th and early 20th century, social customs was very strict regarding women's clothing, with women wearing dresses, underskirts, and painfully tight corsets. Excuse me. In the 1850s, Women's Rights acted this. Emile de Bloomer started to shake things up. She advocated for women to ditch the tight corsets and heavily petticoats worn under their skirts, under their skirts. 
initially inspired from Turkish dress, the wise loose-fitting pants worn under a knee-length skirt, <coughs> excuse me, were aptly named the bloomer. The bloomer became a symbol of women's rights in the early 1850s and was worn by famous feminists such as Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Then in the 1920s, there was another big shift in women's clothing with women entering the workforce during World War I and gaining the right to vote. They had to think more practically about their outfits and demanded less restrictive, moral, more casual attire. Although women continued to wear skirts, their clothing became more musc- masculine, excuse me, losers, looser and sporty. One of the most influential fashion icons of the 20s was Coco Chanel. She rebelliously dismissed the feminine styling of her day and embrace uh andro androgasness androgas androgasness style in other words what is it androgasness okay both male and female how's that <laughs> that's what it means both male and female all right she accelerated the already growing movement towards female empowerment and paved the way for men wearing inspired clothing, designed eloquent suits, tweed blazers, and simple everyday wear for women. She was best known for wearing nautical stripes, trousers, and chunky knit sweaters. The 30s brought men's wear inspired fashions into the forefront with actors such as Marlene Dietrich, Audrey Hepburn, and Katherine Hepburn sporting suits and bow ties in popular movies. Although Chanel, Coco Chanel, Marlene Dietrich, and Katherine Hepburn rocked trousers before the 30s, it was really only considered socially acceptable for women to wear pants in specific situations like sports or during the war when they took over many of the men's jobs. With their husbands away at war, women took on what was previously male-dominant roles, such as a farm or factory work. Since traditional women's attire wasn't appropriate for the more physically demanding work, they raided their husbands' closets and altered them to fit. In 1939, Vogue illustrated a woman in a pair of pants on the cover of its May issue. The editors wrote, Our new slacks are irreproachably masculine and they're tailoring, but women have made them entirely their own by the color in which they ordered them. And the accessories they add, however, the article goes on to the pick when, where, and how these slacks may be worn, starting one iron rule is that they were well cut and well creased to appear properly feminine and stresses the necessity to avoid the mannish accessories that characterized the early experimental days of trouser wearing. So women could be free to wear whatever they wanted as long as they still looked like a step forward housewife and looked pretty for their husbands. After the war ended, women returned to their role as housewives and mothers, and with that, they went back to dresses and skirts. 
The 50s was subsequently hyper effeminate with clothing made to insinuate a woman's hips and busts with tight waisted dresses and curved jackets. However, they were still pockets of women breaking free from the trend. For example, there was a group of women in London called Teddy Girls who rejected the traditional notion of femininity, dressing in jackets, rolled up jeans, and flat shoes. Although there was intent instance of women wearing men's clothes throughout the 20th century, it really wasn't until the 60s and 70s that men's wear-inspired fashions was no longer considered a rebellious political statement. In the 60s, women made large strides toward equality with the passing of Equal Pay Acts and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which both gave women more rights in the workplace. In, the ni- in 1961, Audrey Hepburn wore black capris in the movies. Breakfast at Tiffany's inspired a new resurgence of women breaking away from traditional feminine clothing. Yev St. Laurent took men's wear-inspired styling to new heights with his smoking tuxedo jacket, held as the alternative to the little black dress. As he said himself, for women, the tuxedo is an indispensable outfit which they feel comfortable with so they can be who they are. This is style, not fashion. Fad comes and goes. Style is forever. Another influence was credit to the 1977 movie Annie Hill, Annie Hall, excuse me, starring Diane Keaton, where Diane Keaton's men's wear check clad Character Don Bowler hat, vest, wide ties, and button-up shirts. Then the 1980s was all about the power suit, which include a tailored jacket with large shoulder pads and a knee-length skirt. A recent article from Vice Magazine about the evolution of the pantsuit st- stated, These big shoulder jackets and pants distinguished a woman's figure and took the focus off her gender creating a feeling of authority as the traditional sex roles continues to blare. UK Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher always wore a suit, saying that she was in a man's world and she had to look the part. In the last 20 years, men's wear-inspired fashion has increased in popularity from a sculptural shoulder, button vest, plaid patterns, classic Fedoras and trench coats to slouchy boyfriend jeans and suit sets. But until recently, it still had feminine elements, which glitch waist con- addition to ribbons or lace and pastel colors. In the last five years, this trend for men's wear inspired fashion has continued to grow. But there has also been a growing demand for women's clothing that is mus- masculine without the feminine tr- touches so no longer just inspired from menswear instead it is actual menswear designs fitted to the female body this style has been given many names but mostly common referred to at a glorious fashion Tomboy style. Am I on the right place? Tomboy style and menswear inspired fashion.
Amen. And then it goes on. This is exactly what we aim to create at Karen Finch, grown up as tomboys. We always envied the clothes worn by the boys. And as an adult, we felt uncomfortable in the women's wear that we were forced to wear. It insinuated our curves with things that like darts and clenched waist and clenched waist typically had feminine details like frills and lace that had our nose turned up. But neither could we just shop in the men's department. Men's wear was too big or tight in all the wrong places. But what could we do? We took it into our own hands and decided to make clothes for ourselves and all the other people out there who didn't feel comfortable wearing or struggling to fit into the traditional men's wear or women wear. That's just a little bit of, of knowledge of where some of this stuff come from. And so, therefore, you can see it all starts with rebellion. And that's usually what happens. And nowadays, you know, we are at a point because of the rebellion of the sexes, both male and female. We can see that now, in some cases, you can't tell if a woman is a man or man is a woman. Most women has cut their hair off so short. They have become so masculine that you can't tell if they're a woman or a man. You know, we are seeing all kinds of things. The movement of the LGBT community, you know, is all a part of this original rebellion and how Satan is infiltrating into the lives of both men and women and in the homes. I was reading an article the other day, and it says to the effect with the LBGQ community now, how high the suicide rate is already gone in that between five and 10% of the youth and people that claim to be uh, LBGQ has gotten to a point that they are committing, trying to commit suicide, you know? And so we have to be aware, you know, of where this stuff originated from and how it applies and how it should apply to us. Amen. We cannot go away from the word of God, where God's word says something is an abomination, we need to wake up. Amen. Because the Bible says, he that being often reproved, harden his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I don't care how much culture change. I don't care how much things get to going. You need to know who you are in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you to myself, and I will be a father unto you. We need to realize that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it was an abomination then, it's an abomination now. We need to understand who we are in Christ Jesus and live according to the word that God has given unto us. The same way you find also in the scripture how that God says that is an abomination for a man to lay with a man and a woman to lay with a woman. Amen. He says to use the same word, disgusting, adultery, and wickedness. But yet this community of the LGBTQ community is, is the movement across the world is to try to promote this agenda. And we need to realize that it is not of God. You know, 
And so we have to realize and have an understanding that we have to take a stand as far as reaching the loss. You know, Jesus tell us to lift up our eyes and look on the harvest field. You know, Jude tell us on some have compassion. I'm not standing here saying we hate these people. Don't get me wrong. No, we love them the same way I love the drunk, the alcoholic, the drug dealer, everybody else. You know, I just hate the sin that that's betrayed, whether it's drinking, whether it's smoking, whether it's drugging, whether it's fornication, whatever. You, we need to understand that when God's word points something out to us that is wrong, we need to take heed, you know, because if we follow that trend or we follow that pathway, we can be assured there's going to be consequences at the end. As the Bible tells us, we've all got to stand before the judgment seats of God to give an account of the things done in this life. See, so we need to we need to wake up and realize as we see that the world is trying to push an agenda. And we knew it was coming. The scripture 2000 years ago told it was coming. You know, so we can't be like ostrich and bear our heads in the sand. The Bible tells us to lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. You've got to take a stand. Paul tells us in these last days we need to put on the whole armor of God so that we're able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You're going to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. He's telling you this in advance before it even happens. He told his disciples, you know, when they bore you before men and and judges and everything else. He said, don't you worry about what to say. The Spirit will tell you what to say. You know, you know, if, if I'm called to be a martyr for the Lord, I better get my mind right. You know, if they want to put me on a cross and turn me upside down, you know, so be it. This world is not my home. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not here to stay. See? So we have to realize with understanding and knowledge who we are and what God requires of us so that we can reflect Him in the earth. Amen? Praise God. So hopefully, you know, I, I downloaded this off the Internet. Isn't it amazing that what you find on the Internet these days? <laughs> you know? So, you know, so it's nothing new because somebody has already done this and, you know, and brought it to our attention. God uses different things to give us a wake up call. Amen. So we don't want to have cows in the living room, right? <laughs> you know. So I'm sure you heard that story, right? How the Russian farmer they had one real bad cold winter, and so he has a lot of cows, so they wouldn't all fit in the barn. And so he told his wife. You know, I need to bring some of the cows in the house so they don't freeze. She says, no, you're not bringing no cows in my house. He says, honey, if I don't bring the cows in the house, they're going to freeze to death, and we're not going to have any livestock. We're not going to have any way to get any money or whatever. And she says, okay, they can come in here just for the night. So he brought some of the cows in and put them in the living room, and the weather got worse. So one day led to a next day, and the next day led to the next day until the stench in the house became bearable. And so the cows spent all winter 
in the living room. That's how it is. When we have wrong in our lives, wrong things going on, if we leave it in there so long, we get used to it. It becomes norm. And we just get used to it and we just leave it there. And it just take root and stay right with us. So we need to make the adjustment. James says, He that look into the perfect law of liberty and be it not forgetful here, but doer for here, this deed shall be blessed. So we have to make the adjustments. We got to know what we're doing if we're going to grow. Okay? Praise God. All right. So don't forget Sunday service. Amen. Come, let's have a great time in the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Hope everybody's enjoying this beautiful weather we're having. Amen. Making snowmen and all that stuff. Gals gathering this Saturday, 11 o'clock. Amen. Be a